When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Travel Squad Podcast. We're four friends that grew up together in the same small town. We followed each other to San Diego and now we adventure the world together. One passport stamp at a time. We're here to share our travel stories and inspire you to go on your own adventures. Even if it starts with your own backyard. I'm Jamal. Brittany. Kim. And I'm Dana. And And we're we're the Travel Squad Podcast. So grab your ticket, your passport, and don't forget your travel insurance. And prepare for takeoff. Hello, fellow travelers. Hey, everybody. Hey. Welcome to episode 78 of the Travel Squad podcast. We're going to Arches and Canyonlands National Parks. Arches and Canyonlands National Parks are two of Utah's mighty five national parks. They're located in the southeastern corner of the state, and although they technically do not touch, both are on opposite sides of the city of Moab. So if you're going to do one, you got to do the other. That's so cool. I did not know that. Because I haven't been to these two national parks. You two went a nice couples trip there, and Zaina and I did not go. But I saw your guys' photos. They were so beautiful. The sunrise photo, I can't wait to get to that part and hear all about that. That was gorgeous. And I have been to a couple of Utah's national parks. They're all beautiful. Utah's a beautiful state, so I cannot wait to hear about this. I know. You know, like Kim, I saw the pictures. They were super gorgeous and I can't wait to hear more about it. But I do have to say that I constantly feel like you guys are going to Utah to a new national (laughs) park. And so when I asked at one point, and I know Jamal just said there's five, but at one point, you know, before I knew that there were five, I was asking you guys and Jamal said five. And I'm like, how is there only five? I swear to God, every weekend you guys are flying to Utah. I feel like we've flown to Utah at least three times this year. Change of religion on the horizon? (laughs) No. (laughs) Not this year, Brittany. Technically in 2020, we did. Yes, 2020. I just want to point out, everyone, that before we recorded this episode, Kim said that she's going to be asking the hard-hitting questions on this <laughs> trip. And wow, she already a, hit one. No, I have not hard yet. hard-hitting question, Kim. I'm proud of you. I am there for the nature. And let me just say this. Utah really is a beautiful state. Like we said, it does have five national parks. Brittany and I have been to all of them. This one specifically is going to be about arches and canyon lands. If you've ever seen a Utah state license plate, you've probably seen a iconic image of Delicate Arch, which is an Arches National Park. So, I mean, that's how iconic Arches is, is it's literally on their license plate. But we're going to get into Canyonlands. And let me tell you something, Canyonlands really shown for me. I've heard you both raving about it. Well, let's get into it. Start us off with some tips for visiting these two national parks. So in these national parks, weather is very important. It gets really hot in the summer. There's pretty much no shade. So if you go in the summer, expect to be wearing shorts and a t-shirt and have all of the sun protection that you need. And in winter, it gets very cold, below freezing, and there can even be some snow on the trail. 
these national parks are literally in Utah's desert area. And like Brittany said, you know, during the summer, as we know, deserts are hot. Maybe a lot of people don't know this, but during the winter, deserts are freezing. So depending on what type of year you go, you have to pack and dress accordingly for that. Question. What month did you guys go in? We went in November. And cold? Did you need big, heavy jackets? Absolutely. So when we were hiking our first day at Arches, we definitely needed pants and a jacket. As we were hiking, you are sun exposed. You are building up body warmth as you're working out and doing those hikes. So we did have to shed some layers. But once you took it off, then the wind is blowing on your sweat and then you get cold. So it's a constant back and forth, back and forth. So you want to have the layers, take them off, put them on back forth. I've got a hard hitting question for you. (laughs) Hit me with it. Did you bring gloves? I yes. always bring gloves, Zaina. I'm not you. <laughs> I brought gloves my gloves. And a beanie because when we went to Canyonlands one morning, it was like 29 degrees outside. Ooh. Ooh. It was a little chilly. Yeah. And when we went in November, like Brittany said, it was the tail end of November. So close into December. Mm. We would also recommend renting an SUV because we flew into Salt Lake. And to get from Salt Lake to Moab, we did hit patches of snow and we actually did glide a little bit on the road. So we were really glad to have an SUV. The SUV is very much needed. Realistically, when you fly into Salt Lake City and make the drive, it's about four and a half, five hours to Arches and Canyonlands, right, Brittany? If I remember remember correctly yeah and you go over a big mountain pass so it's snowy you're in the mountains so you do need it for that then you get into the desert area and really don't need it so much but it is good to have and so as Jamal said you do drive over a mountain pass and so you do need to download offline maps while you're driving within the state of Utah and also when you're in the national parks because you won't have cell service When you had the SUV, did it have four-wheel drive? It did have four-wheel drive. Okay. They gave us one with four-wheel drive. And on another trip that we went to, another one of Utah's national parks, maybe two, three weeks later, which is maybe why Zane is saying she feels like we were always in Utah, they gave us an all-wheel drive, which was sufficient because it had a button to put for snow traction. Hmm. But yes, you do want to have at least a four-wheel drive, at the very least all-wheel, and have the capability to have the snow traction on it, which I think a lot of new Newer cars that are all wheel do have that. I have a question and I've had to think about this before when I went to Yosemite. Do all SUVs have either four wheel drive or all wheel drive? Yes. That's okay. actually a really good question. I believe the answer to that is yes. Like a hundred percent guarantee it will have it. At least all wheel. I mean, if it's a very small SUV, not a midsize, maybe not, maybe just just a two wheel, but I would wager to say at least 90% of SUVs, whether they be compact all the way to full size are either all wheel or four wheel drive. That is great to know because there is not a setting on car rental services for four wheel drive, which is terrible UX. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like you have to rent the large larger SUVs to get a guaranteed four-wheel drive Mm -hmm. for sure. So Jamal and I did take this trip on a weekend. We left on a Friday. Beautiful weekender trip. We originally booked a flight that left after work, but with COVID and with the airlines not doing as many flights, we ended up not getting a nonstop flight. They changed it to a flight where we did have a layover. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. I know. San Diego to Salt Lake with a layover. Where did you lay over? We laid over in Vegas, which sucked because it was a layover, but not too bad because we used my priority pass on my credit card and we got some lounge access and got some drinks and food. So can't complain, but realistically take 
taking four to five hours to get there when the flight could really be two hours, it sucks. Another hard-hitting question for you. Did you hit a Pakistan? <laughs> Did not hit a Pakistan in Vegas this time. We didn't have time. There's always time for Pakistan. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that. But in the lounge in Vegas, how is it different than it would have been BC before COVID. Before COVID. I figured I knew what BC was when you said that. Back in the ancient days, too. That's a really good question, Kim. So in the old days, BC, <laughs> you used to be able to go up to the food and serve yourself. And now they actually have pre-portioned plates for you. And then oh. you go up to a counter and you tell the person what you like. And they kind of have like a menu stand at the front, which tells you what they're offering currently. Ah, okay. So you and can't get any of your own food or drinks. Yeah, so not too bad. Unfortunately, that really does limit the type of quality food that they do put out. But at the same time, free food, free drinks, mm -hmm. really can't complain. And again, a nice isolated place to sit. Lounges these days aren't very crowded also. So it's a good opportunity to take off your mask for a little bit of reprieve and feel safe and comfortable too with not all the masses around you. Nice. So on Friday, we probably only took off of work maybe two hours early. So pretty much worked a 40 hour week and we didn't really use any vacation time to take this trip. Okay. Yeah. So after our layover in Vegas and getting into Salt Lake, we landed what around 10 30, 11 o'clock at night. So in Salt Lake. yeah, because it's an hour ahead in Utah from California time also. And then we just checked into our hotel in Salt Lake city, barely got any sleep. By the time we got into our hotel and checked in, maybe it was close to midnight. We woke up at around five o'clock to get an early drive. Brittany's so farts keeping you up all night. Oh no, that, they, they, they weren't. They weren't. Not that night. She didn't have gas from the food in the uh, lounge. <laughs> five hours of sleep. And then you guys woke up and hit the road. Hit the, hit road. the road. And it was pretty intense because at least we had the SUV, which again, always comes in clutch if you're driving in mountain areas. But we left out of Salt Lake. You can see up in the mountains, there was a little bit of snow. But then we went over this one specific pass and at one point then you could really see like they had the road signs that said chains are going to be required or four-wheel drive and we're like oh my gosh what does this look like in here and we had to drive really slow then there was a truck that was blocking the middle of the road because he had slid and no one really knew is this an accident or go around so there were some slight delays a little bit of sketch driving but at the same time we made it through the mountain pass and hit the desert areas of utah yeah so we did have to go on us highway 6 jamal was like this is a crazy highway so I looked it up and it was like one of the U.S.'s most dangerous highways. And I think I was it was like, listed as one of the deadliest, too. Yeah. And I was like, oh, living on the edge. OK. Oh. So at this point, are you feeling more scared or does it look beautiful with all the snow? Both. I mean, like all of the trees have that snow dust on it. There's just like a white layer outside. But at the same time, the roads look a little scary. They look icy and you can definitely feel the kind of slide. Well, because it had just snowed that night. So it was fresh snow. Their version of what we have in California, Caltrans, you know, that goes out into the roads, cleans it up, salts it. They hadn't really been out yet. So we were literally making our own tracks on the road in the snow and it wasn't cleaned out. So we were like, all right, well, when we come back from our trip, we were flying out, you know, on Sunday, we said to ourselves, well, we have to drive and leave early that way in case there's traffic or slowdowns because of the snow. But luckily on the way back, they had already cleaned that stuff up. But going through, we were making the tracks in the snow on the road. When you were out on the scary highway, did you stop and think about candy cane? You know that movie <laughs> reference. 
Joyride with Paul Walker. Joyride candy <laughs> cane. Yes. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, it sounded familiar to me. I was going to say the candy wow, man. I'm proud, uh, I'm proud of you too, Kim. Oh my gosh, that would have been so funny if you said that and Jamal didn't that get it. That was an intense I had movie. no truckers chasing me on this one, so I wasn't too concerned in that regard. Okay. But anyway, we made it through the pass, and then eventually I would say around 10 o'clock is when we got to Arches. 10 to 11, we got to Arches. So about four hours of driving? Four about. hours. Yeah. And just to keep in mind, in the winter, to get the most out of the day, you want to get into the park early because the sun is going to set early. And Arches National Park is, like Jamal said earlier, located in eastern southern Utah near the Colorado border. And it's known for its natural sandstone arch formations. And there's actually over 2,000 arches located within the park. Yeah. And so, like I said earlier, they do have the license plate that has delicate arch, which is the most iconic arch in the park. And it's literally sitting in the middle of nowhere, just literally a stoned arch that's about 80 feet tall. Obviously, all the 2000 don't look like that. Some of them are carved into the mountainside. Some of them have double arches in them, aren't necessarily as big, but they are very impressive to see and very unique in terms of geological formations. Did you read or see anything about how they formed into arches like that? Yeah, they had signs about that throughout the park, and I did read up on it a little bit. And I remember some, but not very descriptive on how I'm going to say it here. But pretty much what it is, is all the wind and sand and dirt blows on it, and it just carves out the arch itself. So it's a bunch of wind and sand erosion. And since there's a lot of that in that area, that's why there's a lot of arches. Interesting. So it's going to change with the years, too, as the wind keeps coming. Absolutely. And I think I also remember reading that when it rains or when there's ice, it starts to crack layers open or off. And so that also contributes to the change in the sandstone. Nature at its finest. Absolutely. So like Jamal said, our first stop was Delicate Arch. And Delicate Arch is the most famous sandstone arch in the entire world. And it's freestanding at 52 feet high. And there's three different ways to view it. So number one is the way that we went. We started at Wolf Ranch and it's a three mile trek, not a lot in elevation gain. And it took us about two hours to do. And on this trail to Delicate Arch, you also have the opportunity to see petroglyphs, which I know would really get Kim going because she loves old ancient things. And it also (laughs) has the ability to climb up a window arch. And while you're in the window arch, you get views of Delicate Arch while you're there. Yeah. And when you get there, you really don't see the arch until you make this little final crest over and then you can see it. And when you're there, literally there's almost this amphitheater feel because it really kind of looks down. Then there's the arch and everybody is there trying to take the photo with it. I know we've talked before in previous podcast episodes, find the right person to take your photo. You definitely need to do it here because I got somebody to take a photo for us after waiting in line. So when you want your photo, do expect to wait in line, especially if you want it solo. But the person didn't even get us under the arch with the full arch. They cut it off. And I'm thinking to myself, what are you doing? So I had to go back, look, tell him, I want this frame. Please get the whole thing in it. And he was successful. But don't lose your spot in line. Squad tip. Don't lose your spot in line. And realize then that the person took a terrible photo of you. Because you will have to wait a long time, about 10, 15 minutes. 
and adding on to your squad tip there is frame the photo for your photographer before you hand your phone off and tell them exactly what you want. Because I had the same thing happen to me at the witch's mansion in Salem, Massachusetts. And I took a beautiful picture of my friend. The whole house is in it, everything. Passed it to the lady behind me so I can get in the picture. And she cut off half the house. I was like, I hate that. What the? (laughs) Don't just take it to me. I'm like here in front of a historical thing. Frame the photo for them. Yes. And another squad tip. Delicate Arch is also a great place to watch the sunset and stargaze. And again, out in the desert, you know, there's nothing else there for you. So if you are going to stargaze and watch sunset, you're going to be making that hike at night. So do have some sort of light source, whether it be a flashlight, headlamp. If you want to feel brave and just use your phone, do keep that in mind. If you go out there, it's going to be pitch black, but it's a great, great place to watch the sunset. And this is your only hike that will allow you to get very close and touch the arch. So if that's really important to you, then this is the hike that you need to do. How did it feel? It felt great, hard, and girthy. I was going to ask you about the girth. (laughs) There's not a single episode that can go by that we don't talk about girth. It was girthy. Was it delicate girth? Um, Slightly. (laughs) So the viewpoint number two is the lower viewpoint. And this viewpoint does not allow you to touch the arch like we had mentioned before. And this viewpoint is for people that can't hike long distances because it's only about 100 yards from the parking lot. So this is good for all skill types. Can't or don't want to because you're 30 and you're over hiking now. You're describing yourself right there, Kim. (laughs) But like Brittany said, you can't get to it here. You could only see it. It's called viewpoint for a reason. You really can only view it. The third way to see Delicate Arch is to go to the upper viewpoint. And so this is about half a mile round trip. And so you would continue past the lower viewpoint up to the upper viewpoint. And it's said to be about moderate in elevation and difficulty. Did you guys do all three? We did not. We didn't feel the need because everything else was a viewpoint and we were all up on it. Kim, I told you I was feeling its girth. Like, why would the viewpoint do me any good at that point? I wanted to touch it. But for our listeners out there who don't want to do the hike, don't want to be out in the cold that long, or if you go during the summer out in the heat, the viewpoints are great places to go ahead and see it. Or if you don't want to touch it. Yes. Who doesn't want to touch it, though? Let's be honest. That's why we did it. I would have too much FOMO if I didn't get to touch the arch. (laughs) You see everyone else down there touching it, hands all over it. You want a piece of that action. Absolutely. (laughs) And I want my photo with it. That is for damn sure. I want to be under it. I mean, it's on the Utah license plate. I don't want to say when I see Utah plates now, I've been there, been under it. I mean, you can (laughs) see yourself on a license plate now. Absolutely. So from there, we did a hike called the Window Loop and Double Arch. This hike is about two miles round trip, and we've spent about two hours in the area. And this area gives the most picturesque views in the park that give the park its name. Yes, and I really loved this area of the park when we were here. You know, the window loop that they do have, it's called a loop because you can see several different arch formations and they have different ways you can go. You could go in a circle, you could do little spur offs and then connect back in and then go somewhere else within the window loop. But you do get to see lots of different formations of the arches there. And I really did enjoy it. The hike itself is not very bad. There are some steps up, but for the most part, it is very, very, moderate and I would even say less than that so as long as you could hike a few stairs and not necessarily very steep you can do this with limited mobility but it is definitely not accessible via wheelchair in that sense you can see them from a distance but you can't get up on it 
So window loop offers three different arches. It offers the north window arch. You can climb up under the arch, stare at the sandstone arch above you, and then also it gives a great view into the desert landscape. There's also another arch we went to on this path. It was called Tourette Arch. You can actually climb up onto it. And from there, you can see North Window Arch from that arch. And then as you head back, you can see both North Window Arch and South Window Arch, which is the last arch on this loop. And it's just so picturesque, so beautiful. We got lots of really good photos and it was just a nice, easy trail. And as Brittany was describing that, I mean, we're talking about a lot of arches, north window, south window can kind of be confusing, but rest assured when you are there, you know, you would think, okay, well, here's a couple of them. They're all going to look the same, but they really don't. Each one, as you're viewing through it, one, the arches look different and two, they give different views out through it to the beautiful landscape surrounding the park. So it is really breathtaking to see and very, very enjoyable. And so you can go back to the parking lot the same way you came in, or you can take the primitive loop trail back, which is what we did. And then we headed over to Double Arch. And wow, Double Arch is so impressive. So Double Arch is actually right by Window Loop. And there is a parking lot in the middle. And on one side of the parking lot is Window Loop. The other side is Double Arch. And Double Arch was absolutely amazing. Envision yourself walking into some sort of domed cathedral of a church, but it's open with the two arches. So you have about, what was it, half a mile from the parking lot? A little into less. That. Yeah, a little less. And then you get under the double arches. And it's just so impressive to see because it's, like I said, a cathedral dome almost, but with the double arch opening. And then you could see the sky from different sides. It's very well shaded in there. We did climb up to sit into one of the arches. Very difficult to do. But we were able to do it, and that was really cool. It sounds really pretty. We're going to put pictures of this trip up on our website, travelsquadpodcast.com, so you can see some of these amazing shots. I've seen them on your Instagram, and wow. Words just don't do it justice. If I was good at describing things in sense of words, maybe I could put it into writing, and I would be a world-class author. So yes, <laughs> you are very correct. The photos are going to have to do the justice, and do check it out. I did read a tip, so squad tip. You can climb up in between double arch and you literally have to lay down on your back, but you lay down on your back and then you get a photo looking up to the sky and see both arches in your photo frame. I had to lay down to get it. Otherwise, you really can't. So I did the, that tip that Brittany just mentioned right there. And she told me she had read it and I was like, all right, I'm going to put the squad tip in action mm -hmm. right now. And you got a great picture out of it? I did. At least what I felt like was a great photo. So from there, we headed over to Balanced Rock. And this is one of the most iconic features in the park. Why is that? Well, I guess you can tell from the name, it's a balancing rock. <laughs> so it has a very thin little, you know, spire. So this is not an arch, but it is a thin spire. And then at the top is just an oversized rock that is balancing on it. So it looks like it should tip over realistically at any moment. As you're driving through the park, we actually pass this on our way to Delicate Arch, to Double Arch, the Windows Loop. So we caught this as we were coming back and we made the stop. You can do the 0.3 mile loop around the entire rock, which you would need about 15, 30 minutes to do, but you could easily see it from the parking lot, get your fills, get your photos. Brittany and I didn't do the full loop. We walked like a quarter of the way to one side and then the other. It is quite impressive to see and just, you know, I don't want it to fall, but if I was there when it fell, I think that would be an interesting <laughs> thing to see. <laughs> and it stands 120 feet tall. So it's not like a short spire. It's a pretty tall spire with the rock balancing on top of it. Cool. 
Yeah, and that was pretty much Arches National Park. There are lots of other hiking trails that you can do, but for the most part, the hiking is relatively limited to just the trails and the viewpoints to see the more iconic arches in the park. And so after that, we drove back to Moab, which again is the biggest city closest to Arches and Canyonlands. And we stayed overnight at the La Quinta Inn and Suites. And I actually enjoyed that a lot. There was a breakfast buffet, but by the time we had to wake up early in the morning to do the sunrise at Canyonlands, we missed out on it. But rest assured, if you go and don't want to see that sunrise, it was there for the taking. Darn. Would you guys recommend staying there then for anyone listening? Yeah, it was a nice hotel. Do you remember about the range of what it cost per night? So I want to say it probably cost about 125 per night. So it wasn't very pricey, but Jamal and I did get this free because we did use our Chase Sapphire Rewards points from our travel credit card. Bucking them hard. Wonderful. I think that's episode 67 where we talk about travel credit cards and we go into the details of this one. Yeah, it's definitely a very good card. And I would recommend staying there. You know, the city of Moab is actually quite nice. I mean, it's literally geared towards the economy of people visiting these national parks. So it kind of has a nice rustic feel. There was a barbecue joint in the parking lot of the Wyndham. So if you're feeling uh, (laughs) barbecue, that's a good spot for it, too. It was highly recommended as one of the places. But Kim, you would be so proud of us. You know what we did for dinner that night? Tell me it was Thai food. We went to Thai food. (laughs) We went to Thai food. What'd you guys get? We got some drunken noodles and some, I think, panning curry. Mm, Ah. Those are my two favorites. And um, it was actually called Arches Thai. Wonderful. 10 out of 10 would recommend. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Absolutely. What was was really nice. the spice wasn't too bad because not perump level. It wasn't per, it wasn't perump <laughs> level, but we made sure that it wasn't. Um, but I really did enjoy this Thai restaurant. It was very unsuspecting when we got there. It looked like it was in somebody's house. Uh, that's what it looked like on the outside. But then you get on the inside, and it's a full blown restaurant, obviously. But this was very highly recommended. We even asked the concierge or person at check in at our hotel to recommend a few places to eat because we were undecided. That barbecue joint was one of them and Arches Thai was definitely listed. We were looking at another Thai place ourselves because it had better reviews, but our person at the hotel recommended Arches, and I don't regret it. It was on like a point less than the other Thai place, but this one was good. And it was so cold that day. We just wanted something to warm our souls, mm. and barbecue just didn't feel like it would do that. And, and curry warms your soul. <laughs> yes. Barbecue wouldn't warm your soul. It would that have. But not in the way that curry does Baked for beans. that cold weather. Yeah. <laughs> not, yeah, but not in that way. It warms my soul, but not in a warm my body soul type way. I think I just realized Kim said baked beans. <laughs> Those are warm. Yeah, they are. That's why I, like, I missed it the first time. And then once I actually realized what you said, I was like, yeah, those are soul warming. So the next day was Sunday and I'm going to start you guys off with a squat tip. It was cold in the morning. It was like 28, 29 degrees. Fucking cold. And we were right next to a gas station. So Jamal and I went to the gas station and we picked up a piping hot, hot chocolate Mm -hmm. before we started our drive to Canyonlands. Yeah. So a couple of things that I want to throw in right here. It was a Chevron, if I'm not mistaken, but it was so early that we were going to catch the sunrise, which you mentioned earlier that you're excited for us to talk about, Kim, that McDonald's wasn't even open. Wow. But because, like I said, everybody in Moab realizes what their economy is geared around. 
around. This Chevron actually had packaged-to-go breakfast, breakfast burritos, burritos. that were moderately priced and pretty bomb. I mean, some people are sketched out about gas station food, and to an extent, depending on what it is, you know, I would agree, but these <laughs> were bomb. So we picked up that hot chocolate to warm our soul some more here in the morning, and we also got those breakfast burritos. But the sunrise wasn't even on our itinerary because we were supposed to fly back home on Monday and now here we are on Sunday. But because, like Brittany was saying earlier, they jacked up our flight going, they jacked up our flight coming back. And so we were like, okay, we might not have enough time to do the second thing, so what are we gonna squeeze in? So we squeezed in that early morning sunrise. I have two things to say. One, about gas station food when you're traveling in close to national parks and in um, less like busy populated areas, the gas station food, actually they have people that will make food. And so I would say those are higher quality gas station food than your average like San Diego gas station. Absolutely. Absolutely. There was actually even a deli inside the Chevron. Yeah. And then second thing, since COVID, Southwest has been really crazy with their flight changes. Yes. Understandably. But we wrap them. It's unfortunate. And it's, but. An, it's annoying, though, because you'll book a direct flight and then they'll change it once and change it twice and change it three times. It's at a completely different time. It has like a stop or two stops in it when you book a direct. It's just a little frustrating. And I, I know that we have tried calling them once to switch to a different flight because of all the changes. They were really accommodating with that. So we'll give them that. But covid and their flight changes man yeah so we were supposed to originally fly home monday morning and get in before work and then they changed our flight to be monday at like 1 p.m and i was like that's not gonna work so we had to take the last flight on sunday and then they even changed that so we were like at first we were even debating are we going to even be able to get what we want to do out of this trip should we just focus on one national park and then we just sucked it up and we're like no we're gonna do both <laughs> i we're told gonna power Br through i told Brittany, i said if we're there i, I not that i wouldn't want to come back but i don't want to come back that quick if i was just like right there and the other park is like 25 miles away it's like i have to do it we're there we got to do both that's quite a change from your your stance on a sunrise view from the Philippines. Well, <laughs> if we remember in the Philippines, I was just coming off an upper respiratory infection and I was on my deathbed pretty much. But this oh one God, here, so you know, dramatic. I'm actually glad that they changed the Southwest because the sunrise wasn't even on our radar. And this was probably the highlight of the trip for me. I enjoyed this the most out of anything. So from Moab to Canyonlands National Park, it takes about an hour to get there because the roads are pretty windy. We went to the park section called Island in the Sky. And so it is a lot of windy roads to get to this plateau in the sky that overlooks Canyonlands National Park. Yeah, because they have Island in the Sky. Then they have a section of the park called the Needles and the Maze. And Canyonlands here, all these canyons, if you can't tell what it is, I mean, you're just seeing vast, vast canyons in the desert. Canyonlands is carved by the Colorado River. So we know the Colorado River carves the Grand Canyon and everybody loves the Grand Canyon. But let me tell you something of having been to the Grand Canyon and now having been to Canyonlands, I find Canyonlands to be so much more impressive in terms of its vastness, its scale. It's really, really beautiful. So the island in the sky is obviously on the upper rim area, needles and everything else is going to be lower canyon, which we didn't venture into. Can we just take a moment to shout out the Colorado River as an MVP for what it has given America 
and its contributions. Seriously. Seriously. It really has. Wow. Horseshoe Bend, beautiful. And Vegas wouldn't be there without it because it's a hydroelectric power dam. Otherwise, there'd be no water or electricity in Vegas. So shout out for mm. its economic value and scenic beauty for I nature. I think down here in San Diego, <laughs> we even get some of our water from the Colorado River. Yeah, we do. Shout out, MVP, Colorado <laughs> River. Woo! <laughs> So the first thing that we did was Mesa Arch Loop Trail, which is where we did watch sunrise. And the trail is not long at all. It's only 0.7 of a mile round trip. But this is the iconic arch in Canyonlands National Park. So even in Canyonlands, again, we're so close. It's famous for the canyons. But even here, they do have the arches, just like at Arches National Park, which is its neighbor, Sistery National Park. Yeah, and so the Mesa Arch isn't very tall or wide, like Delicate Arch or some of the bigger ones in arches. But this one, you can walk up to it, and the arch just is situated as a frame to look out into the canyon. And it perfectly is looking east, so you're able to watch the sunrise come up through this little narrow arch arch overcoming the canyon you could see the light starting to filter on it and it was just incredibly beautiful but there are lots of people there so if you want the position to watch it through the arch you need to get there even more early to get your spot an hour before the sun pops up or you think that's a little too much no i don't actually an hour 45 minutes we were there about 30 minutes beforehand and there were so many obviously hikers like us and people who just wanted to experience it but there were so many professional photographers, photographers. there they had their tripod really set up they have it perfectly angled they've been there before they know what's going on and they're filming it yeah so although we didn't have a spot directly in front there were areas to sit on the side and jamal and i just sat back enjoyed our hot chocolate and watch the sunrise and just the glow on the rocks from the sun is so amazing all of the rocks glow in orange hue I took some video and they're unedited and it's amazing how beautiful and how orange and how much it glows. I was gonna say a time-lapse video would probably be so beautiful of this oh yeah definitely yeah, we were able to get good photos. I forgot to mention, again, the arch isn't very high, but it sits at the edge of a vertical 500-foot cliff, like straight into the canyon. So when you're there, you're literally on the edge of the cliff looking at this arch and through it. And when we were there, like I said, people were taking photos of the sunrise, but we did catch some people who were actually doing photo shoots of girls in dresses, which I don't know how they were doing that. It was like 19 to 20 degrees in the morning before it started to warm up, and these girls were not layered in anything everybody was all bundled up and what here were they the are. dresses like they were dresses? like white sundresses oh okay because yeah. I, I have heard of some services like you see this a lot in pictures of greece where the women have these crazy huge dresses and they're blowing in the wind it's like a beautiful crazy red dress and they're on the greek like white and blue background so i was wondering if it might be that but it doesn't sound like they're that oh no they were wearing um, like sundresses with like brimmed hats that you would find at the Kentucky Derby or something mm. like that. They really good photos. I ended up talking to the photographer who was doing it uh, because we wanted to get shots from that side. But shout out to them because it was cold out there. We were all like huddling up like, oh my God, how are these people there? Because it was cold. You want those gloves, Anna? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so after we finished Mesa Arch, we went to the Grandview Overpoint hike. And this was another two mile hike that we did. It took us about an hour and a half, but it had has one of the best canyon views in the entire island in the sky district and so this route's really short and sweet but it's also really thrilling because it does take you to the canyon's edge as well 
Yeah, and where you're hiking along the canyon's edge, you can see to the left, you can see to the right. So this is almost forming like a little peninsula out. So it's not like you're just on one side, you see one side, you see opposing sides of the canyon. And even though it is two miles, there's only about 173 feet in elevation gain. So this is a relatively flat trail, real easy to do if you can actually hike out there on the rocks. I wouldn't even really call it a hike. It's more so definitely a trail. And I would say that this is also one of the longest hikes that you can do within the park in terms of the area we're at and the island in the sky. Otherwise, everything within Canyonlands here is pretty much overlooks. And I didn't get tired of looking at any of the different overlooks that we went to because each view of the canyon is more impressive than the last. So someone that doesn't feel like hiking could totally go to this park and enjoy the views and the scenery. Absolutely. Cool. I'm there. (laughs) That's Kim over 30. (laughs) What other overlooks did you guys do while you were there? So we also went to the Green River Overlook. But before we get into it, I do want to say we do have a previous episode that we did called No Hike National Parks. And so we do highlight Canyonlands heavily in it. So do check out that episode if you haven't already. And for future episodes, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get all of the episodes when they come out. So to get back to your question, Kim, we went to the Green River Overlook, and it's just another overlook that offers really beautiful canyon views of the Green River that twists its way through the park, and it's near a parking lot, and it is accessible. Yeah, and then there's the Schaefer Canyon Viewpoint Trail. It's only 0.2 miles round trip, so not even a quarter of a mile And here you can walk out to the edge of the islands in the sky area. And then you're standing about 1,400 feet above the base of the canyon. So really, really high up. Wow, that looks really pretty. I'm looking at a picture of it right now. Kind of reminds me of Zion a little bit like the switchback area of the Angel's Landing Trail. But in Zion, the switchbacks are where people can hike. And in Canyonlands, the switchbacks that you see is actually a road that descends from the top into the canyon. And it was actually a historic path used by Native Americans to access the Colorado River and by ranchers who would use it to move livestock. Interesting. Look at Brittany coming out with the facts over here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the new historian of the group. Yeah. And so now it's used for scenic driving and mountain biking. Cool. Was that everything that you saw in Canyonlands? Just that one day? Yeah, just in that one day. I mean, we got there really early for the sunrise. Then we did the actual two-mile hike. And then again, everything else was really viewpoints. The park is large, but the island in the sky area is not because you're only at certain points up on the plateau of the Mesa to really get those overlooks. So unless you're going to go into the other districts, maybe you could spend more time there. And I forgot what it was called. Maybe Brittany remembers the name, but there is a road that's unpaved, but it's 100 miles that'll take you from the top and through all the districts throughout the park and down into the canyon as well. And I really want to go back there and do that one of these days. I think that would really be awesome. They even recommend that people could go out there and camp because even though it's 100 miles, they say you should take two, three days to do it. I don't see how that's practical, but I haven't read too much into it. But Maybe because there's so many places to stop and look. Yeah, I think so because we were able to see the road and actually saw some people driving on it lower into the canyon. But at the same time, I think to myself, okay, 100 miles, yeah, I would stop, but I don't know if I'd literally spend two, three days driving 100 miles. 
animals. Yeah, so. maybe there's like a lot of cool hikes you can do and you want to stop, go for a hike and make a whole trip out of it. Yeah, I would definitely go back and explore more of the park. I want to say the part of the park called the maze, they don't even recommend you go into unless you're really good at like navigating because there's no true roads, you have no cell service. And so it's like really desolate and in the true desert wilderness. You but- really need to be like a backpacker, backcountry person to know that area of the park otherwise they say you shouldn't go in like Brittany was saying wow so in this one day about how many hours would you say you spent in Canyonlands I'd say probably like five to six hours five to six and I know there's a couple things that you wanted to do that you couldn't do so if you were doing this trip all over again you had more time how much more time would you say you could have used we could have probably used another anywhere from like two and a half to three and a half hours I was going to say another day because I want to do that 100 mile road. (laughs) But yeah, in terms of that, there was one other thing too. I think there was some sort of Native American adobe structure carved into the mountain. Maybe it would have got you going, Kim, as we know (laughs) it does. But I think that was on our itinerary to do. And we didn't do it because, again, we had to get back in the evening for that evening flight home. But at the same time, again, sunrise came out of that. And that was really, really enjoyable and the highlight of it. I mean, honestly, words cannot begin to describe the way the colors looked on the canyon as the sun was rising and through the arch as your own picture frame through it. It's just absolutely breathtaking. And even if I didn't see the sunrise, I would say Canyonlands is better than Grand Canyon. Just throwing that out there. Oh, it's a bold statement and I'm saying it. (laughs) (laughs) So if you just want the highlights of Canyonlands National Park, you can do it in a day, but it's a park that you can spend a whole weekend in and just like get lost exploring and having a really good time. Cool. And I would say Canyonlands was more enjoyable to me than Arches. I thought going into Arches, because it is so iconic of Utah's Mighty Five, that that was going to be more enjoyable to me, but I enjoyed Canyonlands a lot more. That's wonderful. And for this trip, you guys flew back on a Sunday and made it back for work in time on Monday, right? Yes. Yes. Utah's transportation system or workers, whatever you want to call them, they did a good job clearing those roads. So we had no uh, snow (laughs) issues on the way back. So it only took about four hours to get back or about, you know, 254 miles from Canyonlands to Salt Lake City Airport. Fantastic. Well, I know we have some burning hot questions from our listeners, not just from me. So it is my favorite time of the week. Questions of the week. Woo! Our first audience listener question comes from Lenny from Oklahoma. And Lenny is asking, which park do you prefer, Arches or Canyonlands? You know, I wouldn't have said what I said a couple seconds ago if I knew this question was upcoming, but I answered the question already. I'll say it again. Canyonlands, very underrated of Utah's five. Now that I've been to all five, I can say that. Very underrated. I would have to agree with Jamal. And my answer is based on watching sunrise at Mesa Arch. It was such a beautiful view. The orange just glowing everywhere and just illuminating the canyon. Definitely top sunrise I've been to. And I wasn't there, but I would still like to give a shout out to all the girth there. And uh, there's some girth going across I, that canyon. Let me tell you. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> follow up question. <laughs> What was better, the sunrise at Canyonlands or being all up in the girth on the delicate arch? Sunrise. Sunrise. (laughs) You know, I'm not a girth person. You know, I I, I make jokes. I know that's your lady's thing. You're not a girth person? (laughs) Uh, You know. (laughs) Come on. Give yourself more credit than that. (laughs) 
All right. We have a couple of other questions. Some of these came in anonymously. And so one of them that I'm also really interested in, can you do all of the mighty five Utah national parks in one trip? And how long would that take you? I absolutely think you can. We are actually working on an itinerary to outline for you guys how to do all five in one trip. And it would take about 10 days. And so there's kind of two options. You can either fly into Salt Lake and work your way from east to west or fly into Las Vegas and work your way west to east. Yeah, because Las Vegas is not too far from Zion National Park, which is the southernmost in the western portion of the state of Utah. So there are multiple options on that. And I would say about 10 days, two days each park and, uh, you know, half a day in one, one allowing driving time too. So it's definitely doable. And as a matter of fact, we were all planning that trip as a backup trip for our many backups during the COVID year of 2020 when we didn't (laughs) think anything was going to happen. So that was even one we were planning on doing. We were thinking about doing it in an RV, if I remember correctly. And that would have been badass. Oh, I can't wait for the RV trip. It's going to be amazing. Our listeners usually always ask this question and we try to cover it as much as possible, but one of our listeners wanted to know how much total did this trip cost from flights, hotel, the car, food, miscellaneous... Ooh, that's a loaded question. So like I mentioned earlier, our hotel was free, so we did not pay anything for it because we redeemed rewards through our travel credit card. Both nights. Both nights. Not even taxes. Everything was paid for. Wow. Okay. Um, We did not pay any park fees because we used our America the Beautiful interagency access pass. So we had already paid for that back in March. So park entrance was free for us. Which originally cost. So the park pass for a full year is only $80 and you can get into any national park that charges fees. Otherwise, each of those park arches and canyon lands are about $30 each for about, what is it, five days in the park or seven days in the park. And Mm -hmm. most national parks that charge admission, that's usually the going rate is about 30. Depending on other parks, I've seen some national parks as low as 15, 20, some even a little bit higher than 30, depending on if they're a really popular national park. So the national park pass is definitely clutch and a good thing to have if you're going be going to multiple throughout the year. Yeah, it sounds like a great deal. If you're going to hit at least three parks or go to one three times, it pays for itself. So it's a great idea. And it, I think if you have the pass, you're encouraged more to use it. So it forces you a little bit to get yourself out of the house. Absolutely. And, you know, we do go places in different states to use it, but we are very fortunate being here in California, having the most national parks of any state. So again, exploring our own backyard and we can make use out of it even if we didn't go anywhere. But to answer your question more specifically, the amount that we paid with our flights, gas, rental car, food was about $567 for the entire weekend. But do keep in mind, we didn't pay for our hotel. We didn't pay for our park fees. So those will add up a little bit, but definitely affordable in that sense of things to do. Especially that number 567 is for two people. For two people. So it's just about 250, 300 for a weekend trip. and, And you guys did a lot in that trip. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. I love that you guys are fucking them hard and getting free flights and hotels. Hell like to yeah. fuck them hard. <laughs> and you know, we did pay for breakfast on uh, when we were there and we could have had that breakfast buffet. Just Damn. saying. Damn. You guys should have went and saw the sunrise and then ran back real quick for breakfast. <laughs> Believe me, it was talked about. We were talking about, are we able to make it back by the time breakfast ends at 10? And that didn't happen. <laughs> 
Well, thank you guys for sharing this. This was so interesting to me. I can't wait to take this trip. I'm so glad that we have it all in our notes so I can just click, click and book the exact same trip. And I hope that everyone listening is inspired to go see that sunrise too. Because it sounds like it was pretty magical. It was. All right, everyone, that's all we have for you this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please keep the adventures going with us by following us on Instagram and YouTube at Travel Squad Podcast. We now have the Travel Squad Podcast hashtag. If you tag your photos with that, we will share them on our profile. And please send us in those questions of the week. And if you found the information in this episode to be useful, or if you thought we were just plain funny, please make sure to share it with a friend that would enjoy it too. And as always, guys, please subscribe, rate and review our podcast and tune in every Travel Tuesday for new episodes. Stay tuned for next week's episode. We have some more amazing adventures and tips in store for you. Woo! Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.